What is up, everybody? Welcome to the next episode of the Housing Anarchy Podcast. Now, the last few podcasts have been about van life in some way, either by some slight relationship or some direct relationship. So for this episode, I really wanted to focus on something that wasn't specifically van life related, but I do consider housing anarchy related. Because as I said when I started this podcast, it is about all the ways we approach thinking of housing differently. And there's something I find that is criticized a lot that I think is criticized unfairly. And that is living with your parents as an adult. I wonder if we should be so judgmental about that, especially considering modern times and costs. I do think it's relevant to the conversation about dealing with the rising cost of housing to discuss the idea of co-living with parents or other older family members. Now, for the sake of simplicity, I'm going to mostly refer to parents and adult children, but this can translate to any relationship between an older and a younger family member where at least one of them has a room or a space that could house more than themselves and they are willing to let a family member use that space. In some cases when you have family members from multiple generations living together, specifically as adults, we call that a multi-generational dwelling. Now normally, multi-generational dwelling is defined as three generations living under the same roof. So for example, that would be grandparents, parents, and their children. Ideally, this is happening in a home that is designed to accommodate this situation and everybody has some sort of personal space. Now that doesn't mean you have three or four micro apartments hanging around. It just might mean, you know, there's enough room for everybody. People feel separated enough that they're not on top of each other, but they're using a lot of the shared spaces together. It's not much different than co-living with roommates where everybody has their own room, but most of the common spaces of the house are shared spaces. Except in this case, everybody is related. Usually when it is just parents and an adult child, it's not commonly referred to as multi-generational dwelling because multi-generational dwelling is designed around the idea, unless you have a reason to leave one family for another family, you're probably going to stay living where you are. Now that is a very antiquated idea of multi-generational sort of family dwelling, even though there are people who still exist under this, they really don't see a reason to leave home until like more than likely they're getting married and are pursuing their own families or they get a job or some sort of situation that pulls them out of the state where their family is. Otherwise, their entire plan is to stay dwelling together as a family and more than likely they've built a home to accommodate a big family living in it. However, the traditional idea in America is that when parents have children and they're living together, this is obviously not multi-generational because if the child is a minor, where else would they live? They would live with their parents. That's one generation's family, even though there's two generations there, one of them has not matured into adulthood where there's even any expectation that they're gonna do anything but live with their parents. Now, once you have adult children in a household with their adult parent, then people started to kind of look side-eye. Now, a lot of this depends on the age of the adult child involved. Nobody expects on the day between your 17th birthday and your 18th birthday, you magically have enough money and resources to move out on your own. But as you're starting to get into the upper 20s and especially close to 30, the expectation is by that point, you are trying to move out on your own and not live in your parents' house. And there's this very antiquated idea about 
kicking a child out of the nest. You know, you gotta throw the bird out the nest in order to help them fly. The problem with this is human beings are not birds. <laughs> so there's ways this analogy kind of breaks down when you really get into it. And also there's all kinds of animals out there. Some of them do live in packed environments. And so as you mature within that pack, your role may change, but there is no symbolic so much kicking out of the nest that completely matches this bird analogy that a lot of people like attach themselves to when it comes to raising children and forcing them out on their own. But we'll circle back around to that. So the general stereotype of an adult who hasn't left the nest is usually, usually, it's usually a for some reason, mother and son situation, there's some 40-year-old man who's never grown up, who's still completely dependent on his mother. You'll see the stereotype in movies all the time. He's not contributing to the household, household usually, and he's usually leeching off of her. So when we hear that an adult, especially, like I said, towards the late 20s, you get a lot of passes when you're young and you're out, you might be in college, um, you may have just graduated high school, you may have just started a job that is not enough to support yourself independently. People kind of give you a pass in that early 20s stage. But people really feel as you get to that late 20s entering 30s stage that you should have made the transition. Like this is the ex general expectation in the United States um, where I would say multi-generational housing or living with your family and having your income contribute to the family until you, you know, break off into your own family is a little bit less common. It's not that it doesn't exist, but it is a little bit less common for that to be a situation as opposed to the, all right, you're getting almost 30, move out on your own type of situation. So getting back into our animal analogy again. The general phrase often used is about the bird that gets pushed out of the nest because they need to learn to fly in order to survive as an adult bird. And for a lot of bird species, not all, and I am not a birdologist or whatever that's called, but I do know from the little bit I know, in a lot of cases, a bird needs to be pushed out of the nest. They may struggle a little bit figuring out how to fly, but if they don't learn how to fly, it's literally could be a death sentence for them. Like part of their survival is being pushed out there. If they don't fly right away, they might do some hopping. You know, they have to get those arms working. And this is a marker of being able to transition to adulthood and being strong enough to transition into adulthood. And the physical nest, the way humans use it, usually means the house. So again, we're symbolically pushing that, that kid out the house. But again, like I said, there are other animals on the planet and they have different markers of adulthood. So like if you're a pack animal and as a child you didn't participate in the hunt, but you get old enough to participate in the hunt, that's a marker of you transitioning to a new situation within the pack. And as human beings in the modern world, we do have markers of adulthood. So one of these markers of adulthood might be the first job that you get. And usually our first jobs do not pay for everything. Now in the modern world, one of the things they might have kids do with their first job is pay for their own cell phone. Um, it's a very simple bill to hand over to a teenager and say, great, this is what I want you to be responsible for with your money. Because part of getting that first job, from part of those learning skills, and this will circle back to housing, is that your paycheck, probably the first thing you're gonna have to do with it as a responsible adult later in life is pay bills with it. <laughs> I mean, it's just a reality of life. So teaching a kid that when you get money, 
you need to use it toward this thing is a good lesson, you know? Another thing, especially because a lot of people, more people get jobs usually in that 14 to 16 age range than they do younger than that. It was very uncommon just 10, 20 years ago to even, for a kid to even have a cell phone that early. But now, even if you're fairly young, you might have already have a cell phone and your parents might turn that bill over to you as a responsibility lesson. Um, same thing with the car. A lot of people's first car, the parents will either make buying the car something they need to do, or they may have them pay all or part of their own insurance, depending on the situation, if, if it's reasonable to even the type of job they have. They might be like, if you want a car, the expenses of the car are on you. Um, and so you need to get a job in order to have this car. And again, it teaches you to have these things you need because the car may not be something that you feel like you want just to be fancy. It may be that you have this job. I went through this. You're taking the bus to the job and you get so much of your time back if you can just drive to work because it's a long bus ride or it's inconvenient or it's just not working with your schedule. There may be desire in getting a car. And same thing with the cell phone. Maybe you do have a reason to need a cell phone that's more than just like sending fun messages to your friends and stuff like that. Maybe you are in a lot of situations where it's very important for you. I mean, honestly, at this point, it's hard to exist in the world, to get work, um, to even move into an adult life without some sort of cell phone because the expectation is you have that as a communicator. It's, it's something you're going to need to put on all kinds of stuff, your cell phone number. Now, mind you, you can give me your parents' cell phone number, but there's no guarantee that you're together. It just does not work the way it used to when most people used to have house phones and now a lot of people don't <laughs> um so it's it's almost a marker of adulthood to have a cell phone now then it just does not mean you need the fanciest smanciest show off the cell phone for your friends but you probably need one this is why free cell phones are provided to the homeless because they realize there's no way to get these people transitioned into working in the world the way it is now without some sort of cell phone um, and there are a lot of delusions about these cell phones. I'm going on a tangent right now, but those these cell phones are cheap. They are not high end. I heard I hear people talking about all the time. Oh, I can't believe they're giving like the homeless people these like iPhones and stuff. They do not have iPhones. <laughs> they have like the cheapest Android available that will get the job done. But moving on. Point is, markers of adulthood are these things. So let's get into the housing portion of this. Now you're getting older, um, and so the expectation from the world is now that you're going to move on and you're going to pay for your own housing but let's say you've run the numbers and the numbers are kind of insane for where you live for what you make in comparison to what it would cost to you know get an apartment and you realize it'd be much cheaper if i stayed home and I know what a lot of you are thinking. Of course, because mom and dad will pay for everything. But why is that the assumption that you have to jump to? When you can say, you know what, mom, dad, aunt, uncle, grandma, whoever, whatever older person you're living with, or you have two parents, one parent, or whatever, it's like, how can I, I, here's the thing. It's expensive. We get along great. <laughs> mind living here a few more years but as a responsible adult I don't think I should do that for free how can I contribute and what I find 
without having that conversation directly it may happen in a more indirect means it may even be i realize you don't make that much so just give me what you can when you can from the parent or the primary you know rent payer or mortgage holder just give me what you can where you can it might be that agreement but we assume a lot of times that this isn't happening we assume the mortgage holder, the rent payer, usually the parents. Now, the reverse does happen. There are times where parents have to move in with their uh, kids, and then you have the adult child and the parent living together. You're like, oh, yeah. Do you say, I live with my mom, my mom lives with me, or something like that? But if you say it the wrong way, you're going to get that side eye. But let's go to the situation where the parent is the primary home controller, and the child is just like, how can I contribute? Isn't that valid? Isn't it entirely valid to be an adult who happens to still live at home and who is contributing in a way they can that is more reasonable than emptying their own bank account for the sake of being pushed out in the world by themselves? When I got my first job, um, I was working at a burger place and I was not making that much money. And my mom made me pay rent. And I was so upset with her because, like, I, I was going to school and, like, I'm making this little bit of money and she has the nerve to ask me for rent instead of trying to, like, help me save as much money as possible. And I was upset. I was really upset. Like, I was a little mer 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 about it. I remember being mer 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 about it. But she was trying to teach me something she, I'm, I think she maybe expected like 40 bucks from me or something like that. It was not a lot of money. And mind you, like if we went to the grocery store, I didn't mind throwing in for the groceries and stuff like that on a casual basis. But she wanted me to have an active number that I knew was not mine to keep because there was a bill to pay. And it was rent. And literally based on the fact that I didn't have a car, so my mom was my primary transportation when I wasn't taking the bus, based on the fact she still bought the majority of the groceries, based on the fact lights were on in the house, we had water, based on all of these things, she was spending four, five, ten times over what I was giving her out of my little paycheck for me. And I can recognize that now as an adult, like having the ability to look back on it in all the ways that she was spending money on me, that little bit of money literally did very little to nothing for her. <laughs> you know, it was about teaching me the lesson that getting a paycheck also came with paying bills. That those events kind of collide in your adult life. And you get the stuff that's left over. And I had honestly, when I do the math now, I had plenty it didn't feel like plenty when I had it because I wasn't some high roller. But comparatively speaking, a decent amount of money was me spending money on me, even if that was for bus tickets. But if I was living on my own, I had, I'd have to pay for the bus, I'd have to pay for my rent, I'd have to pay for all these other things. A decent amount of my check was still going to me, but in my head, it was crazy for her to ask for this money out of my tiny little paycheck where I was working part-time at a burger place. But the lesson long-term still taught me the value of contributing to the home that I live in. So while we talk about this pushing from the nest as if it has to be this physical thing, the lessons we can teach kids so that they have the understandable markers of adulthood, so if they do need to not leave home right away as soon as they become adults or even come back home, can be pre-taught or even taught within the situation. 
And we assume this isn't happening when we hear somebody still lives with their parents a lot. And I don't like that. I think it's kind of really judgmental, which is why I'm talking about this, right? Because obviously I do not live... My mother has passed away. My father has also passed away, but I didn't really know him that well. And I never lived with him. Barely knew him, never lived with him. So he's kind of out of the conversation. I lived with my mother growing up my whole life. And she's no longer on this earth. So obviously, don't live with her. But there are times on and off in my adult life where that's what I had to do. And always, while I was home, I contributed. Now, it may not be some set percentage of the rent or whatever it may not be some set percentage of the electricity bill but I never went back home with the, the idea that I wasn't supposed to contribute and I feel like more adults did not know that like I think more adults than not are completely and I might be wrong but I think more adults than not are completely aware of the expectation of contributing to a home that you live in as an adult okay so now that we've kind of gone over sort of the expectations, if you are an adult that's living with your parents, which again, I feel like most adults who decide to move in with their parents know, or who just stay in their parents' homes know, even though I think most people know that on some level, um, let's talk about the two situations uh, of living with your parents, if you're an adult. Um, technically there's three. The third one is you have moved out. Something happens to your parent, either financially or maybe medically. And the easiest way to resolve the situation is that your parent moves in with you. So again, you're co-living with your parents, but it's the reversal of you did move out, but now your parent has reached a point where they need to move in with you. Um, you could also be living with your parent and they get ill or they hit on a financial situation and then you as a person already living there step up your game. So the how the results of that situation are pretty much the same whether you moved out or not. But I think that's the two situations we need to talk about just a little bit. And that is the value of moving out and moving back, you know, at least trying it. Actually, just not just running the numbers, but at least going out and trying it realizing this doesn't make sense and coming back home or maybe you leave the state for a job um that job ends maintaining the apartment or like whatever you got going on in that state is just going to be a lot and the easiest thing you can do is get a plane ticket and go back home you know something could have happened where you physically entirely left and then you need to come back and then there's a situation of never having left home and i do think people kind of understand a little bit more when you have to move back home than they do if you never left home. They do see the person who left home and came back at least is the person who tried and will probably try again because like there is a lot of value to living on your own like it's really nice to live on your own I am not devaluing like the power or wonderful or grand situation of feeling like I did it I went out on my own I found my own place and now I'm living on my own nobody gets to question what I do how I do it I can do whatever I want sort of now sometimes moving out on your own means moving out with roommates and we might touch on a little bit about that later, but it still feels like with roommates, that's different than living with family. Even on the financial end, if it's a bill splitting situation, it may not be all that different. But on the emotional end, it does feel good to feel like you left and moved out, you know? But I would say 
the stereotype, the stereotype of the person who does not contribute and is simply staying home, leeching off their parents is more common, not exclusively, but is more common among people who have never left home. Like the idea of leeching, of the leech, who's the, the person who's just taking and not giving, or at least not even trying as much as they can to make an effort to be a functional independent adult, even within the confines of living with their parents. That is more common in somebody who never left home than somebody who moved back home. Depending on the situation of moving back home, obviously if you're suffering from depression or there is some external circumstance that's not basic money, um, you know, obviously if you have an illness, you know, you get sick and you have to move home as the child, obviously there's only so much you can do. Those are special circumstances, but the stereotype more likely falls within the realm of somebody who's never left home as opposed to somebody who left home and came back for whatever reason they had to do it. That being said, it's still not an assumption you should make without knowing somebody's situation. Because people from lower income households generally, and especially, are not contributing to the household bills as soon as they get their first job because they want to, it's because they have to. You know, the second they got that job at 16, their paycheck may have been the only thing paying the electric bill. You know, the second they got that job at 16, that paycheck may have been what they needed to cover, cover something their sibling needed for school. So with lower income families, even if you decide to stay co-living as you become an adult with your parent, a lot of times, if you had any sort of job, the second you had a job that was bringing in money, that money was needed for the household. And therefore, as you become an adult, leaving that household would actually hurt that household because the household is leaning on your money a bit. Now, you could say this is unfair. And yes, it absolutely is. But is it reality? It is completely unfair for a 16-year-old with their first job to have to contribute to the household. It is completely unfair. Now, if the parent is doing a lesson teaching thing where they're like, I want you to know responsibility, so take care of your cell phone bill. That's fine. Because at any point, the parent can relieve that situation. It's completely unfair, however, when the 16-year-old no moms needs her phone to stay on and so they have to pay mom's cell phone bill, not as a gift, not as something out of their own heart, but they know mom needs a phone. It's going to hurt her life, her ability to keep a job, all these things, not to have the phone. So, you know, I'm going to take my little bit of money that I'm learning from my job and I'm going to keep mom's cell phone on. That's unfair. It's unfair if the power goes out and it falls on a minor to get those lights back on. It is completely unfair. But guess what? Sometimes it's necessary. And I really doubt if that person stays in the home with their parent going into adulthood that they have any delusions about responsibility. And I'm talking about this, again, to talk about the judgment people jump on as soon as they hear live with your parents. Because I don't like it. I've just seen it happen a few times. And I really just don't like it. It gives me an icky feeling because, like, you do not know that certain person's situation. And even when people find it out sometimes, they'll still make fun of them. So let's talk a little bit more about the going to college thing. Um, so if you were 18 years old and you just graduated from 17, 18, I graduated at 17. I turned 18, uh, my first year out of high school. 
Um, and that's just based on my birthday. I wasn't anything special or anything. In fact, I flunked my first year of high school and then uh, made up with it, made up that year in summer classes and Saturday classes and graduated on time. So I'm not the brightest, but I'm also not the, the lowest rung. It's just like sometimes I check out and then like, so I flunked. I flunked my first year of high school, but still graduated on time by making up the classes. Long story short. Um, but if you're 17, 18, and you go to college directly out of high school. And let's say you don't leave home. It's cheaper for you to go to a local college. Now, this could be a four-year university, a junior college, or even let's even put trade schools in there. People consider it respectable if you stay home. It is very hard to work and go to school. Um, I did the whole thing at one point where I was working as close to full-time as I could get. And I was working a job at an airport so I could work hours that weren't in the normal nine to five range so that I could fit in as many, um, hours as possible for college. This is when I went back the second time, not the first time. The first time I, I made a mess of it the first time. Um, but when I went back the second time, you know, I was balancing that. It is very hard to do both. And do both, make enough money to pay rent. Because mind you, even if you get a scholarship into college, it does not pay for your housing. It doesn't pay for you to live in a dorm normally. You see these fantasies of these full rides in movies, and that is not most cases. A full ride, a completely full ride that will also take care of your housing is very rare. And then also there's food. Like there's meal plans for eating on campus a lot of time. I never had a meal plan in my life. I never lived in a dorm. Um, so yeah, <laughs> my housing was an independent cost from any, and I got a little bit of scholarship money and I was combining small amounts. The second time I went to college, I was com combining small amounts to go to college. Did not cover my ability to live, keep a roof over my head and eat. Um, and it definitely didn't cover a car once I had one. So there were things I had to make money for. And it's very hard to do both. When people ask me how I graduated, I say, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I literally don't know <laughs> how I survived it or got through it. But there isn't an age to go to college. And there are times people go back to school. Now, like me, they could have just either never gone to college or messed it up the first time and decided to go back. You can also pursue a higher degree. You can pursue a different degree because you want to change careers. There's a lot of reason to go back to college. And the thing is, there is no age. There is no rule. The day you graduate high school, you need to be headed into college the next year. You can go into the workforce for a little bit. There's all kinds of paths to going to college be that the first four years or any higher degrees so you can go to college later in life yet when somebody is not the person who just graduated high school we still look at them side-eyed if they think they're supposed to move back in with mom even if mom or dad I say mom because like I was basically raised by my mother by herself so I default to that idea but rather it's mom or dad or mom and dad who are like we're okay with this you'll still get that side eye that questioning side eye of, but should you be letting this adult move back in why is it any less valid when an adult <laughs> has parents willing to figure out a way to lighten the load of going back to school if a spouse did it, we would we would applaud them. But we feel like 
adults of adult children should force their kids who are trying to prove their life to take on this heavy burden unnecessarily. Like there's something wrong with them moving back home in order to lighten the cost of not being able to work as much so they can go to school and hopefully when they get out of school with that regular degree, that higher degree, whatever it is, can advance in some way and giving them the chance to do that. I don't really see a problem with that. But other people seem to, and it just, it's, it's like if, if another adult who was dating you or married to you decided to do that, especially if they're your husband or wife, and especially if it all works out, you know, you know, one of them is going to law school, the other one is working their butt off, and the person who's working their butt off is supporting them under the idea that when that person gets out of law school and they finally get that law degree and they're a lawyer... They'll be able to balance it out a bit or flip it or whatever. We applaud that as long as everybody does what they're supposed to. But the second a parent steps in in the same way and says, I'll take some of the burden of cost off of you to be able to do this thing. We're like, but should you? They're 35 years old. Why can't you go back to college at 35 years? I graduated at 33 and there are people older than me the year I graduated. Anyway, I may be ranting a little bit just because I've seen... This happens so, so much. And so I'm I'm just reflecting a little bit on stories that have just made me annoyed with people. And you may be sitting listening saying, I wouldn't treat people like that. I think these things are permanently fl- fine. But you think they're fine because I am giving you context. Because you have a reason... <laughs> To believe, yeah, that's totally reasonable. That's totally reasonable. But the problem is when people hear, they start to assume, and nobody should need to preach to you their whole context in order for you to not be judgmental of their situation. Now, if you start hearing things that sound iffy as you know a person, that's one thing. But to immediately react to the idea of an adult child having to lean on their parents or co-live with their parents or share bills with their parents... Without knowing the situation, you may be assuming a lot that isn't true. All right, so let's talk about contributing. Because that's the big thing that seems to take some of the judgment off the idea of an adult child living with their parents. And I do think an adult child living with their parents should be a contributor to the household. But does that contribution need to be monetary or at least fully monetary there actually are advantages to living with other people I've talked about there's advantages to living by yourself there's totally advantages to living with other people like if my car breaks down I live alone and I only have my car I now have no transportation when you live with somebody else who has a car like when I got I got hit by a car while I was in college um, later part, while I was living outside of my mother's home, it was a mixed bag. Sometimes I lived with my, for portions of it, I lived with my mom. For portions of it, I didn't. Rest in peace, mom. Love you. Um, but I had a roommate who had a car. Um, and she was the one who helped me out while I was healing and I was on crutches. If I lived alone... I wouldn't have had that person or I wouldn't have easily had that person or somebody would have had to leave their home to come to me to help. When you already live with people, they're already in there to help you with things. And it doesn't have to be something as complicated as getting hit by a car and being on crutches for a little bit. 
it can come in other forms as long as it's done voluntarily on a consistent basis, I would say. To go back to an example with my mom, and this was an example relevant to time, again, that balance of living with her versus not living with her. As she got older, she simply couldn't handle things like mowing the lawn and shoveling snow when that happened because I was born and raised in Baltimore, Maryland, so we definitely had our blizzards. And so, like, when she was a younger woman, you know, she did those things. She just did it. There was nobody else to do it. She was going to do it. She was going to mow the lawn. She was going to put out the trash. She did all kinds of, like, physical things because it was on her. As she got older, these things got harder for her. And so she would pay a guy to mow the lawn. She would pay a guy to shovel the... I say a guy. There was usually kids who would come around knocking on the door. And before, to save that money... Not because she didn't want to help the kids out. A lot of times she would say no and just do it herself because, you know, she was pinching every penny she could. As she got older, there was value in just, like, finding the money to pay this kid. You know, this young strapping kid, usually a boy. I, I don't think I ever saw a young girl come to the door, you know, to mow the lawn or shovel the snow. But when I was there... I could mow the lawn, I could shovel the snow, and the thing is, like, she was never going to ask me to do it, so when I moved across town to be closer to school, during the later part of me going going to college at Towson University, Towson, um, I was further away, and I didn't have a car, so yes, I was perfectly willing to come across town to mow the lawn, to shovel snow, but probably if there was a blizzard with me not having a car, I now live across town. When I lived in her house and these situations came up, I was already there. I put on a coat and grabbed the shovel. I put on a coat and grabbed the lawnmower because I was already there. So there's advantages to that. So it could work out as you have aging parents, younger, you know, honestly, more, you know, ready to go, you know, youths are in the house and they're able to take care of those things. And that can be a way of contributing. And in the case of my mother specifically, like, it was money she didn't have to spend. She could, again, hold on to that little bit of money. I mean, I felt bad for the kid because he's probably like, yeah, you know, I'm going to give my, my $5 or whatever it was. I don't remember how much it was to let me mow the lawn. But at the same time, my mom also had her own financial bottom lines to worry about. So it was saving her money to not have to pay for those services. If I could do them and it was easier for me to do them if we were living under the same roof because I could just grab a coat and do them. I didn't have to worry about how to get to to do. And that's a way to contribute if you are an adult living in a house, even if it's not, even if, you know, even if your dad can mow the lawn perfectly fine, you're like, you know what? You pay all the bills. The least I can do is take on mowing the lawn. The least I can do is make sure the trash goes out on time. You can take on those tasks voluntarily as a way to compensate for the ways that you can contribute monetarily, if that is the case. And many people do. And it's almost done in these unspoken ways that we don't think about. So to give another example that's not mine, again, this is a story I heard third party. Um, there was a young woman who moved back in with her mother. Now, this young woman was a mother herself. She had a school-aged child. And it was very hard for her to get this kid to school and pick her up because her personal schedule at her job did not match the school schedule. <laughs> and once she moved in with her mom, there was a great relief because she didn't have to kill herself about 
getting herself ready for work and her kid ready for school at the same time because the mother who loves her granddaughter willingly took on the task of getting the kid to school and since she was retired she picked up the kid at the end of school and bought her home while mom still had like a couple more hours at work for this mother who had moved back in with her own mother there was a great relief in grandmother being willing and again willing is a perfect word to do this as a help and this isn't even like an equal payback of i pay this so the because i pay this it's because her grandmother loves her granddaughter that is her granddaughter that's something a roommate probably wouldn't feel as intensely so if she was just living with the roommate she'd get the financial relief maybe but not somebody who's like you know what this is my granddaughter i am i'm perfectly willing to get her to and from school now you can live with family and they could be like it's on you and i don't think in this case the grandmother is obligated in any way to voluntarily take on taking this kid to school and picking her up it's not her job she has every right to say no if she's ever asked to babysit on the fly she has the right to say no but you know what she loves her grandkid she's perfectly happy with this and a woman who was once a single mother struggling to get things done because she had to find help because she had to reach out for help now has somebody who can automatically help a lot more which i'm sure is a stress reliever for the mother again i'm not her i didn't live her life third party story and it's just not something I think should be criticized because it's, a, again, multi-generational situation that's working out for everybody. All right, I have another story for you. Um, this one's about a young lady who was working in media, um, established. So I think she was making good money. I mean, based on where, you know, this whole story ended up, I'm assuming that she was making more than enough to live on her own and was simply choosing not to. She actually liked living with her parents. She and her dad, both liked sports um so they were into the same sports teams they liked you know when football season came around they could watch games together she was very attached to her niece loved her little niece thought her little niece was great there were so many ways that she actually just enjoyed having not moved out um, her sister also lived with her, which is why her niece was living there. So she was very close to her family. They liked to throw big get-togethers. They liked to being together for the most part. I'm not going to say they never had anything. I'm sure in the reality of the entire world, they didn't get along all the time. But for the most part, it was a healthy family environment where everybody liked each other. And they liked being together. And so she was pointing out these things to a couple of co-workers that thought it was hilarious that she had never moved out of home. And they, they, they probably meant it good-naturedly, but they're just digging into her about this. And she's explaining how she loves her niece, that she loves she's there, she can help, her parents don't mind, the house is paid off. I mean, I probably learned more details third party than I really needed to know about this person I don't really know that well. Um, and I'm just listening. And I can hear how it is from, haha, you guys are making fun of me too. Really getting defensive about it and trying to point out why this is, why this is a positive situation for her. And by the end of that conversation, you could tell she felt really guilty about the fact she still lived with her parents, even though her parents were fine with it. Her sister and her had a decent relationship. She liked helping out with her niece. But she had been felt to feel negative about the situation even though 
she explained as they you know joked on her she's like i pay all of my own bills and stuff they don't ask me to pay for the house because it's paid off and i'm sure there's still bills associated with the house that they just don't bother her about because they are in a position to be able to and they're not super wealthy this is not a super wealthy family with all the money in the world but they're comfortable and as long as she's handling their own bills again from what i can tell third party the parents don't mind that she's there and so these other people make her feel so guilty about it next thing i know she's talking about is searching for apartments and not because she wanted it not because she was personally craving the need to leave but because other people made her feel bad about making the choice to live with family and that made me kind of sad that being said i'm not going to deny there can be danger in the never left home scenario there are people who inherit homes that they've never paid a bill on before and that can be troublesome I know a woman, she worked for her mother's business all her life, but she basically worked the front counter. Mom handled all the bills. Mom took care of all like the behind the scenes business stuff. Basically, she knew how to do the front. And she always lived with her mom. She even ended it, she was a grandmother at the point that her mother passed away. So she'd had kids, raised them in her mother's house. And her kids had had a couple of kids. Some of them had moved out, some of them were still living there. But when her mother passed away, this woman who was almost 50, she'd never paid a mortgage. She had never paid the household bills. She had contributed when they went to the grocery store. She threw in money. You know, she took care of things around the house. She was never a bad kid. That's one of the reasons of all of her kids, mom left the house to this kid. This kid who had always lived there, who had raised her own children there, who now had a couple of grandkids living there. Not all her grandkids, but a couple of grandkids living there. She passed it on to her. And that made sense on paper, except again, this woman had never had to independently deal with bills at almost 50 years old. She had never dealt with the business beyond the front end. So her brother, who had moved out, had to come back and take care of the business end. Her sister, who had moved out on her own, had to come back and help her understand how the bills of the house worked. That can be a danger. Now, I do think that falls back on the parent as far as prep. So when we're talking about preparing people to live on their own, I think there are preloaded sort of insights you can give a person into their world. Yeah, it feels nice to like not bother your kid about the electric bill, especially if they're concentrating on going to college. Let's say they're concentrating on going to college for something that definitely won't teach them anything about, you know, uh, mortgages or anything like that. Well, maybe take some time to talk to them about the mortgage. You know, maybe take some time to talk about if something happens to me, I want you to know this. Because when it comes to symbolically, in the human way, pushing someone out of the nest, I still don't think it needs to necessarily be the physical push out of the nest. Also, you can be contributing to the household and still give yourself a handicap. Because in a way, you're choosing what you want to contribute. You know, if your parents are, if it's not a situation where you have 
to contribute to the major bills of the house like it's all taken care of the house is paid for you're just living there because your parents don't mind and they want to make it a little easier for you i actually do think that's fine but you do need to reasonably think about but if they move out or they inherit this build this home that we're living in now what do i need them to know so that they can reasonably take over or function on their own as a homeowner I do think those lessons need to come into play because nobody wants to be that 50-year-old woman that I'm talking about, nearly 50, she wasn't 50 yet, wouldn't, didn't know what to do. Didn't know what to do at all because she'd never had to handle a household bill and she'd never had to handle the back end of the, of the business. She knew how to run it on the front end, but she was clueless about the back end. You don't want to get there. But at the same time, that doesn't necessarily mean somebody is lesser or less knowing because they never left home because there are people who are wealthy enough to buy their kid an apartment or buy them a house and just say here you go and if they never teach them anything about running that house yeah they're living on their own they're living by themselves but if mom has bought them the house is paying for their cell phone bill is paying i always say my mom and dad mom or dad whatever parents if parents are paying for all the things even with that kid living independently they're not learning proper life lessons either so it's not so much the act of pushing someone out of the house of pushing them out of the nest it's about preparing them to understand the realities of living on your own even if they don't have to take on a hundred percent of those financial realities because you're willing to relieve them but the next time you hear somebody talk about like living with their parents maybe just don't judge them for maybe i'm still bitter just third hand hearing that young woman sort of become reduced as she's been made fun of for still living with her parents when it was a situation she was happy with a situation that gave her a financial relief you shouldn't have to be in financial pain to appreciate the financial relief of co-living with your parents if you're happy doing it. Now there are many reasons to move out as quickly as you can. Not all family situations are healthy and if you are in a situation that is just not good for you mentally, get out whatever you way you can. Sometimes it's better to struggle monetarily than feel like you're being tortured on the other end <laughs> you know if it's not good for you mentally and you'd rather scrap in a crappy apartment on the worst side of town than be home in a toxic environment that's not good for you absolutely do it <laughs> but if it's not that situation and it will relieve you just to work with your parents stay home contribute in the way you can also saying that's okay and we shouldn't be so judgmental of people for it there are also advantages, I will admit, if it's just a financial situation, to co-dwelling with non-related adults or having, as I said before, roommates. As at the very least, when you're living with another adult who's not your parent, they have to respect you as another adult, and it does not matter what the age difference is between you. A lot of people are like, yeah, because you'll both be at the same stage of life, but just because you're 20 doesn't mean your roommate has to be 20. Just because you're 35 doesn't mean your roommate has to be 35. You know, you could be 35 with the 25 year old roommate. 
for whatever reason <laughs> i will say when i was in college i lived in a shared house where all the bedrooms were rented independently that's where i lived on the last latter years of my college experience and so we shared the common areas and everybody independently rented their room so if i was short on rent it wouldn't hurt anybody else if they were short on rent because we all had one-on-one -on -one relationship with the landlord who did not live there um and i was an older college student a lot of the other people who lived there were standard age college students so we weren't the same age but we were independent adults who met each other as independent adults and that's sometimes a easier situation to respect each other's space than your parents um your parents even if they're like you know what you're an adult i'm gonna let you be an adult do your thing in the back of your head it's still mom and dad <laughs> you can't really escape that now if you live with like your cousin or your or somebody who like you grew up with it might be a little bit different but if it's your parents it's a little harder to distance yourself from the fact that they're your parents even if they're being as respectful as possible to the fact that you're an adult um i also find there's two types of roommate situations there's the we're best buddies we hang out we actually we will share groceries we'll cook together we'll watch tv together we are awesome we're like this there's that roommate situation and then there's the second roommate situation the second roommate situation is we are two ships that pass in the night I have my section of the fridge, you have your section, I have my section of the cabinet, you have your section. There's like these divided areas in the shared spaces um, that you kind of like work out who is whose. You're like, this is your shelf, you can put your stuff on it. And this situation, while I call the other one the hot situation, I call this the cold situation because you're not best buddies. But guess what? You might be fine with that. It's not necessarily negative to be in this second situation. You're like, it mutually benefits us to live together. We're going to split the bills. But also, we acknowledge we just met. I don't know you that well. I'm also not trying to make a best friend. I already have best friends. I don't need this to be a best friend situation. I need it to be a monetarily beneficial situation. Um, and I say like neither one is bad because the first one does sound better, doesn't it? It's like we're hanging out, we're we're always together, we like each other, you know, maybe our friends even know each other. We mix those guys together. Sounds great. But maybe I don't need all that. I just need somewhere to live. I have my friends, I have my people I hang out with, I have my interests, and they're completely different from yours. And we can respect each other enough to give each other that space and just co-live together on the things we need to co-live for, for our mutual financial benefit. I think that second situation is fine because I've been in a situation where I was expecting that second situation and the other person wanted the first situation. So they wanted to instantly make us best buds, best friends. And I'm like, I don't know you. I don't like you being that familiar in my head because I ain't say it out loud because that'd be rude. Like, I don't want to be that familiar with you. I don't know you like that. <laughs> maybe if we get there naturally it's cool but a little much for me that this is the expectation the second I walk in the door but there are people who are uncomfortable with the idea of someone who's that distant that they live under the same roof with they find that creepy they find it weird hashtag weird and so it makes them uncomfortable that you're not warming up to them right away and this is the personality problem of roommates the thing is with most parents you've lived with them all your life so rather you're a shy person or a very social person they already know who you are in a way kind of and this is a way it actually can be a relief 
if it is for financial benefit either your parent moves in with you or you move in with your parent because maybe you're both financially compromising you're just trying to get this to work out for you both you already know each other you know your personalities you know for better or worse and even a shy person is probably pretty comfortable with their own parents again assuming it's not a toxic situation and so it's easy to smooth through those moments you already know kind of how you are you know your level of like sloppy to clean and you probably wouldn't be agreeing to the situation of adult co-living unless you're able to work through those problems it's much harder when you're instantly meeting a stranger and having to work through it now it can also be a good life lesson to go through this with strangers as far as roommating if you want to do that instead of living with your parents it can be a great life lesson about who you are because when you live with your parents a lot of times you're going to pick up living the way they do you're going to transfer some of that and so your expectation about the way things should be comes from your parents but this person you're living with came from different parents so what they see is a little lived in you might see is messy you be might be that person who does dishes after every meal you might be that person who does dishes once a day um that may or may not work depending on the number of people in your house because i found when i was living in the four person house it was four or five i don't remember um it was like four or five bedrooms in the house it was long ago who cares um I found like some of my habits didn't work out so well like it was fine when it was just me and my mom and we knew how to work around each other but it was like after breakfast I was scrubbing my dish because if I put my dish in there even for 10 or 20 minutes in that 20 minutes like at home I could be like I get to this in 20 minutes but when I was living with roommates what I learned was 20 minutes later somebody else could have made food now there's three dishes in there and now it's like do I just wash my bowl or do I wash everybody's now I was the person that if I did wait that 20 minutes I'd just wash everything as a makeup for letting my bowl sit there for 20 minutes but I also could have been like I'm just washing my bowl <laughs> and ignoring everybody else's and so like it can teach you a lot of lessons about other people about how to find compromises from other people so there is value in going through a roommate experience but if you're like I've been through that I either want to live on my alone or with people I actually know already so I don't have to deal with roommate issues then there might be value in moving back home if you really can't afford the living alone yet because you've already been through that or you're dealing with personalities at your job your job is stressful you have to deal with the public and maybe when you come home, the last thing you want to do is deal with 15 personalities. You don't know, not 15, let's not go there. Three or four personalities, one other personality that's not gelling with you when you get home. And it's also easier to share things like groceries and meals because you already know each other and things like that with people you already know and have lived with in the past i.e your family so there are advantages and disadvantages to living with family there are advantages and disadvantages to living with roommates if you need to co-live with someone and living on your own fully 100 isn't an option and in all of this i am not saying don't try for your own home if that's what you want but i'm also saying we shouldn't be super judgmental of someone still living with their parents without actually knowing what their situation is and why. And that's all I'm saying. So I've rambled a lot. This has been a very rambly 
podcast, but I really wanted to talk about this because, yeah, it was mostly that, that young woman I saw get very sad due to the criticism of her still living with her parents who she loved and who were kind enough to be like, girl, do your thing and stay home. <laughs> it's not like she wasn't dating. It was not like she was living a lesser life, but she was living her best life. You know, she had those really cool parents where, you know, she could be like, you know what, mom, I messed up. Can you come get me? <laughs> and her mom was like, I'm glad you called me. I'm not even going to get mad at you. Like, uh, I don't know. I just felt so bad for her that I was like, this is something I want to talk about because I hear this judgment come up so much. And in a world that's already presenting us with so many financial challenges, where so much of the wealth seems to be accumulated by a small amount of people and it seems impossible to get in or break those barriers, we shouldn't be so judgmental of people who have found solutions that work for them, even if it goes against what we traditionally, especially as Americans, and I might have people listening who aren't American, but we traditionally as Americans see as the wrong way to be. There is no age when you're ready to move out on your own. It has to do with you mentally being able to do it and also financially being able to do it. And there might be a financial rewind. Life isn't a constant changing path. So you get sent back home by circumstances, but you can also go back home by choice because you can see the forest through the trees and go, you know what, for me, this is the best choice. Obviously for me, my mom is gone. She's been gone many, many years now. But honestly, if she existed today and there was a chance to go home and sit with her a while, I would definitely do it. All right, guys, that's all I have to say on this podcast. This is a really silly random one. But I thought it was important for me to get off the subject of van life and RV living. Because um, like I said, this podcast is meant to be about more than that. It's about breaking the mold on what we see as housing and looking at the true options of the system that we're in of the situations that we're in and multi-generational housing definitely used to be more common it used to be very common to stay home until you got married now i don't think you need to wait till you get married you can wait for some other marker of being able to actually financially being able to move out on your own but we definitely need to take the stigma out of it for many reasons both emotionally and financially all right bye bye uh, if you want to catch me on my regular channel, if I ever get to posting a video there, you can catch me at The Dawn of Van Life. If you want to follow me on Instagram, it's also The Dawn of Van Life. I'm going to end it here for this podcast, I swear. Bye-bye.